0: We've been talking about the series God, question mark. Because there is a, in our progressive culture today, there's this mindset that there is no God. Or if there is a God, it's just the God you want him to be. And therefore, we have found ourselves in a strange place. And truthfully, not a very good place. I look at your generation, and I can't, I'm trying to figure what it's going to look like 10 years from now. If we keep moving down the same path. Seven years from now, your world will be quite different than it is today, more challenging and more confusing. I, I look at what we are now experiencing today, and it is somewhat discouraging and overwhelming. The good news is that Jesus is still on his throne, and God is still in control of the end of the journey, and he writes the last chapter in the book of this world. So we're good there, but in the meantime, what do we do, and what's happening around us? I was... Uh, I was at the beach. Uh, Charlene's mom did have a place, and we got to go and stay there. And, and uh, uh, we—Charlene loves the beach, so we go and we'll go. And I—I uh, I go with the beach because I love my wife. That's why I'm there. But she loves it; she can stay out there all day. So okay, I will love you. I'll stay here all day, with you? But I had to put up a tent because I don't like—you know—I want comfort. We bring out the chairs and bring out our sandwiches and our stuff. And. And stuff, water and coke and stuff. So we're ready to go. So I get there usually. I I make it to the beach about 9 o'clock. Put the tent up. Then I'll go back and get her and all that kind of stuff. So I'm putting it up and and we're getting set up. And I go back and get her. And we're kind of it's just like like nine thirty. We're getting in all squared away in the in the tent. And here's what happens. Uh, there's a group. There's a there's a young guy and a young lady next to us. Uh, you know, ten feet away. And they're also preparing to be at the beach all day. So they've stretched out a, a blanket and, and they bought a big old cooler and they're just having a good time. A couple other people begin to join them from work and, and I say hey to them. How you guys doing? And they say hey to us. And, and, and they were very nice. They said, man, we're off today. It's our day off. We're coming to the beach all day. Life don't get any better than this. I said, man, that's cool. That's awesome. And then he said, hey. You guys want a beer? I'm going, dude, it's 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> Woo! I'm thinking, it's going to be a long day for them. <laughs> anyway, we talked. They were nice. They, uh, and let me tell you, I was, that was amazing, probably in their late 20s, and they were being kind to us, and I appreciated that. Anyway, so we talked a little bit, and, and then I, it got a little hotter. I said, hey, why don't y'all come sit in the tent for a little bit? I know it's hot out there, man. Yeah, come and sit up here. You know, get, cool down, and. And they came over, and I said, tell me what you do here. How's it going? You live here? Yeah, we live here. Where you work? He said, man, <clears throat> I, work at a, I work at one of the best places you'll ever eat, One of the, You'll get the best barbecue you ever got on, on the whole beach. I said, cool. Now, in the process, he said, I love working there. I, I'm a cook. And I said, okay. Now, he began to tell me about his lifestyle. He had probably smoked pot the night before, and seemed to enjoy that very well. And then uh, <laughs> I'm watching what he does go through. Tell me the name of your restaurant. I promise you, I'm not going to eat there, <laughs> thinking to myself, no, I'm not going to eat there. <laughs> anyway, but uh, anyway, we're talking, and, and uh, he begins to tell me how hard life is. I said, well, are you, are you having a good time, or are you making it? said, no, I'm not making it. It's payday to payday. Don't make enough, and life's hard. i, I got a failed marriage. i got a child in Colorado. I'm, I'm sitting here, and this is my girlfriend, and she's wanting to go to Atlanta and be a bartender, and I, and I don't know what to do, and I just, you know, it's hard. And then he said this. He said, and this world, it's actually, our world's in bad shape. Ah. And he began to talk about how bad it is. And he became a person who had no hope. He, had, he's going, he has no hope. He's going to work every day. The biggest moment in his life is going to the beach on off day because it don't cost any money except what you load up in the cooler. And, and so he's going, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, can I talk to you? We get to talk and have a conversation. And what I discovered is this man Didn't have God on his radar. God was not on his monitor. God wasn't crossing his Facebook page, and God wasn't a part of his thinking at all. He was just trying to do the best he could. So we talked a while. And I began to discover, as I've talked to more people, that seems to be more the norm than the exception. So I want to talk to you about this question mark of God and what that really, really looks like and what we can know from it. So... Here we go. Denying the existence of God is the surest way to offend the God who exists. Let that settle in. Denying the existence of God is the surest way to offend the God who really does exist. I want to share two points with you. The first one is this. Rejecting God because of human reasoning, human experience, or human appetite does not allow exemption from the anger of God. We now live in a culture where people say, well, I just don't believe there's a God. Therefore, no consequences. Wrong. We now live in a place where, you know, I've had such bad experiences. The world's such a bad place. There can't be a God, so it doesn't matter what happens. Wrong. And they say, you know, I want to live the way I want to live. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. So therefore, I don't think there's a God. I'll be God. There's no consequences if I think that. Wrong. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, here's what he says. But God shows his anger. You know, we're real big about talking about God's love and he is love. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is patient, he is all those things. But because he is perfectly righteous in character, he becomes angry when sin destroys that which he loves And the word anger actually means, if you had a word picture, it's like a pot, a boiling pot of water. Yeah, I, everyone, I cook spaghetti. That's one of the few things I can do, and I want to help show sure I cook spaghetti. And, I, you know, so you, one of the things you do is I get the, the big pot, fill it halfway with water, begin to bring the water to a boil, and then I throw the noodles in. And I got that thing cranked on high, and, uh, and then I wait for them to get ready. Now, one of the ways I know they're probably getting ready is because, you ever seen the, the stuff begin to bubble up, the foam stuff, and go over the sides? I think when it goes over the sides, it's kind of ready. Uh, and you say, well, how do you know the noodles are ready? I take one out and throw it up against the cabinet wall. If it sticks, it's ready. You think I'm kidding, don't you? No. Nah. Charlene hates that. Why is the spaghetti on the cabinets? I check and see if they're ready. But it overflows, okay? It just overflows. That's the word picture for God's anger. It's boiling and it's spilling over. Not out of control, but it's properly measured and rendered. His anger from heaven against all sinful. Let me tell you what the word sinful means. That word sinful means irreverent. Irreverent. For all irreverence to him, he is angry. We live in a culture where people laugh at God all the time. They make fun of him. They use his name wrongly. They make jokes. Entertainers say things that are unbelievable. It's irreverent. It's irreverent. It's not entertainment. It's irreverent. It, and it offends God because we're irreverent to who He is in His character, in His nature, in His position. We don't, we're not aware of reverence as we should be. And sometimes we as a nation have become very disrespectful to God, very disrespectful. Irreverent, you tell me I don't exist. You tell me my, my laws don't matter. My principles don't apply. You make fun of my name, God would say. There was such a reverence of the Jews. Now, Paul's writing to the Gentiles. At this point, he's focused on the Gentiles. He's going to get to the Jews, We're talking about Gentile people, which would be us. He said, you know, the Jews were so afraid of disrespecting God, they would not say his name. You know, I mean, they didn't write it even. In the the Old Testament, there's no vowels in his name. You can't say it. We added the vowels because they were scared they were going to make him mad. Say his name the wrong way, and so here today we just are irreverent. We live in a culture that's irrever- ir- ir- just irreverent. And he said, "That's sinful. When you tell, when you make fun of me, mock me, deny me, ignore me, reject me, that's irreverent, because I'm God. I'm God. Wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now." Here's the comment, he said there's those people who are irreverent to me their attitude to me is wrong and then their behavior about me is wrong and they suppress the truth about me that truth is not about biblical doctrine it's about the truth about who he is and his existence he says you, there's people in their wickedness have suppressed the truth meaning uh, they've denied me they've 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 they've, they've misrepresented me and They they do this by their wickedness. Now, uh, wickedness is violation of rules of conduct that God has established. Those those rules of conduct are often referred to as the Ten Commandments. You know, that that little uh, document that we threw out of the schools years ago and wonder why we have problems today? We threw the rules out. God said, you threw the rules out. What do you expect? He said, we'll make up our own rules. They don't work. And so, he said, but you you suppress the truth. You say it doesn't matter what these rules were or who I am. You've you've misrepresented me. And and therefore, uh, you have said you've called good bad and, and, and bad good. And can I tell you, people say they're always fussing about things. The majority of evil and suffering in the world is a result of Sin by people, not by God. Man, God, God just steps back and, and lets people go. And they do a pretty good job of destru- destruction and, and devastation. People say God doesn't exist because he can't be seen. The imagination of humanity creates a God they can see. And God can't exist because of evil. So he doesn't exist because they can't see him. So he must not be. And you know, if there was a God, there would not be any evil or suffering in the world. Look at all the evil, the mistreatment, the hatred, the violence, the anger, the abuse. Oh, there can't be a God. God wouldn't let that happen. Had, the other day, in the in, in language, talk about it, but the other day, you know, someone was talking about, how come there's disease, how come there's cancer, how come there's things that said. You know, and there can't be a God. Who, who, how can you believe in a God that lets it happen? And I said, I got I to gotta show you a guy. His name's Freddie, and I could put it up on Facebook, and there was a Bible verse that Freddie Giles had written for that day, reflecting his hope in God, his confidence in God, who's the, been the victim of ALS for over seven years. I said, you know, here, what about Billy Graham? And Billy Graham goes, man, hey, he's just looking forward to go to heaven. You see, we, we, we tend to think, well, if there's problems, there's no God. No, there's problems because man is sinful. He's irreverent and he's wicked. And our cultures become even more so. And therefore, we have created our own problems. And, and we, we look at the, the tragedies around us. So, rejecting or ignoring God or asking God, yeah, we see this. We, we reject Him. Ah, there's no God. Or we ignore Him. Ah, there's no God. Or we ask Him to share a spot with other gods. He doesn't share His spot with anybody, He just lets you have the other gods. I, I'm going to say something. I was very frustrated about this. And, I watched both conventions because I want to be informed and I want to figure out what's going on. And I probably had higher blood pressure than normal, way more frustrated than usual. It was it was a painful experience. Did I enjoy some of the people? Yes, I did. Uh, some of the things said some good things and some didn't. But what frustrated me and bothered me is the parade of people from both conventions that said prayers. I ain't never seen like him in my life. I, I, There are various religions and various... And I understand diversity. I get all that stuff. But you need to understand, God was not impressed. I believe he was offended. What is wrong with you people? I got, he's going to be thinking, what is wrong with y'all? I heard things, I heard prayers that didn't make sense, they were crazy. I go, what in the world? What is wrong with us? They suppress the truth, that's part of the wickedness. We, say, we put God in a corner, we, we say He's one God among many gods, and we think the outcome's going to be okay, and it isn't. It has a price tag to it. Well, let me go to the second thought. Because what I want you to get here is that God gets angry. Now, I love preaching about love and patience and grace, and I'm a man of hope, and I really am positive. I say, Preacher, don't sound very positive today. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is coming, and this world's going to come to an end. We're going to go to a better place. I'm very hopeful. Don't get me wrong. When it gets hard, you look up, and your redemption's close, man. I believe we are so close, we're close to getting a one world government, a one world economy. Man, we're getting there. And I'm thinking, man, it's getting close. I'm, I'm kind of listening for the trumpet any day now, man. We're, we're close. So I'm hopeful. Man, I'm excited. I get to be a light in this darkness, which is pretty amazing. But here, it's truth. This is what it is. God says, I, I'm offended by what you've done and what you say about me. And we have a culture that does this so tragically, tragically. So the second point I want you to get is this. Resisting God for who he is leads to a life of emptiness and darkness, leaving people to gods of their imagination. What he says, what he says. Now look at this, verse twenty-one. I mean, look at the verse twenty-one. Yes, they knew God, meaning there was something inside them. They knew there was a God. They knew. Inside, God placed a vacuum that cries out for deity. And they suppressed it. They ignored it. They dismissed it. Tried to fill it with other things, other gods. But they knew there was a God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. He said, Look, you didn't even acknowledge that I exist. Can I tell you the tragedy? of listening to two weeks of conventions. No one said, man, we need God's help. Rather foolish. He said, look, I, I get this. So He said, you know, there was, there was a thing where basically he's saying, in the, you know, hey, you guys have changed the truth for a lie. You, you, you've moved away from what is true. And so he said, now you resist me, you, 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 you are rejecting me, you don't give thanks to me, you don't acknowledge me at all. They begin to think up foolish ideas. That word foolish means moron. In the Greek, it's moros which we get the word moron. He said, you guys are acting like morons in your ideas and your thinking. Uh, Foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Wow. Dark and confused. Let's look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Morons. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Next verse. You got it. I got it up there. Okay. Instead, look at this. Look, you came up and you said, here's what you're doing. Here's what's happening. You now have substituted me. You've shared me. And you've gone through a process of rejecting me. You've led humanity into a downward spiral of destruction and darkness. Willful ignorance of God leads to clever imitations of God that leads to a replacement of God. You see the progression here? Paul says, look, I'm telling you, first you start out saying, you know, it's a willful ignorance. I don't think God's that way. I don't think God's like that. I don't think God thinks that. And we kind of ignore the fact that there is a God or, or what his character is really like. But it never stays there. See, many years ago, we started ignoring God. Oh, yeah. We said, you know, we don't, hey, we're don't. we not going to do prayer in schools, and we're going to take out the Ten Commandments, and we're going to change all this, and we're not going to make him important anymore. And and uh, eh, we're going to ignore him. God doesn't like to be ignored. But it also, when you ignore God, it leads to imitations of God. We begin to make a god of our own imagination. And what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And and then we replace God with something else. Do you know what the 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 moment of failure in Eve was in the Garden of Eden? The moment of failure for her and Adam, it was this. The devil came and told her a story. And you know why? She took the fruit and she gave it to Adam and he took the fruit. You know why? Because a moment in time, he appealed to her imagination. Eve, you ever thought what it would like to be as God? Imagine that, Eve. Just imagine for a moment. If you could be like God, that's why she took the fruit. When we imagine something different from truth about God, we're going to replace God. And we know the end of that story. We're paying for it today. In a world that still imagines God wrongly and replaces God every day with stuff and things and ideologies that are untruth. He said, so this is what you do, and this is what you've done. I had a discussion with an atheist. It was pretty interesting. Atheists tend to think, when you begin to talk to them, and you say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and they go, well, I'm an atheist, and I think you're stupid because you're not an atheist. I'm going, okay. Uh, uh, some other people probably share their opinion about me, but it doesn't matter. You know, only ignorant people think there's a God. Okay. So we talked for a while. And and then and so uh, they said, you know, I just don't understand that thing. There's no, you know, scientific evidence. There's no God. You can't prove there's a God and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm going, okay, yeah, yeah. But here's what they said. But I do go to church every once in a while. And I said That's an intriguing thought because you tell me you don't believe there's a God and you go to church and I know people that say they believe in God and hardly ever go to church. i got to think about this for a minute. Why do you go to church? Here's what they said. I can't explain it, but when I go, I sense something. I I, I do, and I don't believe there's a God, but I sense something. So you know what it is? I said, no, I don't know what it is. Just I feel good and I kind of feel better. I said, because inside you is a place that God has created to know him. It's your conscious. You say, I don't see him in a test tube. And you say he doesn't exist. But you ever seen a sunrise or sunset and ask how the design got there, how it works flawlessly every day of our lives and how the laws of gravity function? Uh, because God said so. And I began to talk about these things, and I look, because there's evidence in nature that says there's a designer, but more importantly, there's something inside you that says there's a God to be found. And you can't deny that. Or you wouldn't be showing up at church to hear about a God you don't believe in. And she said, I'll think about that. There's something inside of us and the atheist has to beat that down and push that away because everyone starts with a God consciousness. Now, we sometimes have a God of our imagination or a God of our liking or a God of our appetite, but there's something inside us that cries out for someone greater than us, and it has to be reprogrammed. And our culture has done a pretty good job of that. When you replace God, you leave humanity with a sin-sick world. Guys, choosing to believe in God is a moral choice based on inner consciousness, not scientific evidence. It's an expression of faith. Something inside comes to life. And we know there's someone out there that's bigger than me, greater than me. There's a designer, a creator, a savior, a lord. And there comes a moment in time when faith is ignited in your life and you put, make a choice. It's not a scientific choice. It's not a logical choice. It's actually a moral choice based on faith that you trust Christ. For God in his greatness of love while he is angry with sin he provided Savior for the sinner in the person of Jesus Christ his Son who would leave heaven die on a Roman cross suffer horrendously and come to life on the third day to be our Savior and Lord. And birth in us a new life in God, to live forever with Him. It's a choice you make by faith. Share one last story with you. It's my first church. Young pastor didn't know much, and I had a my church grew from seven to about a hundred, and the process of baptized a. a beautiful young lady and two wonderful children. It was amazing to see God work in her life. Husband came some and, and, uh, but he was always mad all the time, angry all the time. Angry, mad. And so I uh, I tried to talk to him and it was tough and the issue was basically he was mad at God because his father died when he was a young boy. And he felt that he was robbed of knowing his dad and things weren't right and life wasn't fair and bad things happened. And he said, if there's a God, why did he let me down? If there's a God, why did I have to deal with this? Why did I not have a father if there's a God? And we talk. talk, you know, i try to love him and talk with him. One night I got a call. His wife said, can you please come see us? Man, he's having a bad day. I don't know what he's going to do. He may kill us. Well, I I going to tell you I was young, didn't know much, kind of foolish, but I began to make my way from Douglasville to Paulding County. I drove the speed limit. Praying all the way, dear God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna show up and just see what you do. Well, as I began to make my, my way to the house, he had to go around the curve and you could see my headlights coming around the curb. As my headlights came around the curve toward his driveway, up he drives from his truck to the end of his driveway. Well, his driveway was about as long as from here to the railroad tracks. He flies up to the end of his driveway, jumps out of his truck, and lays a 30 6 across the hood. He had my attention. He proceeded to lay a three-fifty-seven next to it. And he said, Preacher, I like you, but if you come on my property, I'll shoot you. I said, Dude, I ain't coming on your property. I don't want to come on your property. I'm not here to hurt you. We had a conversation. We talked for about 45 minutes. And finally, he said, all right, come on in the house. I'm thinking, should I do that? Is that a good thing to do? And I went in the house. We talked for a while, angry. I said, listen, obviously your wife is made you mad, and you have a problem, would you let me take her, and I'll go get a neighbor down the road remember our church, and and she'll, they'll ride with me, and we'll take her to my house. She'll stay with me and Charlene, and let me see if we can help work through this, because I'm afraid what might happen. I said, you just got through threatening me with a 30-06 and a 357. Let's take your wife out of the house. I really thought he'd kill her before the night was over. We got out of the house, took her to my house, and we conversed and talked and and things went on he never changed to him there was no God say how can you know how can I know there's a God pastor I said maybe it's in that wonderful wife he gave you that loves you even with all your anger she loves you man Or maybe it's those two children that are so amazing, wonderful kids. Or maybe it's through the visit of a pastor that loves you. God has told you he's here, man. Well, I left to go to seminary, resigned my church, was in New Orleans the very first weekend, got a phone call. Pastor, pastor, something bad's happened. I said, oh, what's happened? And this man had committed suicide. Can you come back and do the funeral? I'm going, man, it's New Orleans. It's a 10 hour drive. And at that point in time, I'd never flown in an airplane of any kind and never thought I would. I'm, I have this flying phobia, I know. Stupid. But I said, Lord, I'll get on a plane and fly back, I'll do this funeral. of a man who said there was no God. In his darkness and confusion, he took his life. didn't have to be that way. I see today a world that is so dark and confused that we're taking our life. Spiritual suicide, emotional suicide, And physical suicide, spiritual suicide. Because we've said there's no God. And it's echoed down the halls of entertainment and politics and athletics and education. There's no God. We're a we're a product by accident. We have no destiny. We're all left to our own. And guys, that's not true. And God is offended by our very thoughts of a world gone mad. But he loves that world so much. and He loves you so much. He would send his son to change your mind and your heart about him. C.S. Lewis stated, Our desire for God is one of the most convincing evidences for the existence of God. Have you made a choice to trust God today? Why not now?